Welcome back to Casual Pour, the show where we have a drink and talk through the hottest headlines in business, media, and tech. I'm Robert Harari. I'm Salvatesh, and welcome to season two of Casual Season Pour. two. We don't do. We never do that on the show. So. We know. We, we never do that. On the show. So that, like, don't like listen to that. For our new listeners, that please forgive me. That's not at all what we're. <laughs> don't listen uh, to that and think, oh, like, oh, oh, they're, oh, they're those type of guys. We're not. We're not. We're not. <sighs> What do we got? What do we got? What do we got today? <laughs> it is the season two premiere of Casual Pour. We are super, super excited to have everybody back. And we have not been slacking off between season one and no, season two. In fact, we have been recording some of the most exciting and unique interviews that we've had the chance to record. Season two is going to be filled with incredible, incredible people across a very, very wide range of industries this time around. And I think for, for me and Robert, um, it's like when you, it's really full circle moment for, for us, for a lot of these interviews. Um, I like, if you're listening to this, I want you to imagine, imagine this for a second. Imagine you're young, you're younger and you're watching and listening to someone, um, a lot all the time. And now you find almost like they're the reason that you're interested in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. They're the reason you're interested in the industry that you're interested in. And now you're sitting down and you're asking them questions and interviewing them. And it's so, so it's just a wild, I, I, I mean, it's just wild. I guess that's a pretty good transition into who we're talking to for the season two premiere. So Sal, do you want to let the audience know who our first guest of season two is going to be? Yes. Our first guest, our season two premiere interview is the one, the only, the, the greatest tech journalist of all time. It's not even an opinion. It's a fact. Um, fact. Fact. Kara Swisher. Um, if you don't know about Kara, Kara's been in this industry since the industry really started. I mean, she was there at the dawn of the internet. She watched AOL become AOL. She knew Jeff Bezos. She interviewed Jeff Bezos before he was Jeff Bezos. So we're talking to her about the dawn of the internet age. We're going to talk to her about being in the room and interviewing Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs and Bill Gates in the same room together, interviewing Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, and then of course what's going on in the tech world today. And she was so unbelievably gracious with her time and just the the insights she has. I mean, like, I don't even want to spoil it, but like, I, it was just wild sitting down with her. I'm, I'm going to stop talking because I can, I can talk about it for hours. So <laughs> yeah. Clearly, Sal and I are very, very big fans of Kara Swisher. She is the founder of Recode Magazine and now the host of the Pivot Podcast. Yes. And she was incredibly generous with her time. Could not be more thankful. But before we talk to Kara Swisher, first, we're going to catch up quickly on the impending TikTok ban in the United States. Oh, <laughs> well, I guess that I guess that answers how we're going to be feeling about this one. Um Here's what's going on. Trump is trying to ban TikTok from the United States. He's saying that TikTok will be banned across the US and that US companies will no longer be allowed to do business with TikTok beginning on September 15th. That's, of course, if they can't come to agreement with a US-owned business to buy all of TikTok's, basically all of TikTok's Western operations. So the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand mainly. Um, Trump also noted that the U.S. should probably buy all of TikTok's global operations from the company and not just their U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand operations, he said. And I quote, I think buying 30 percent is complicated, which I guess it can be. Um, 
But more interestingly, Trump also suggested that the U.S. should get some kind of cut of the deal, like a broker's fee. He said, and I quote, TikTok will close down on September 15th unless Microsoft or somebody else is able to buy it and work out an appropriate deal. So the Treasury, I guess you would say, of the United States gets a lot of money. Sal, 2 billion app downloads, 800 million monthly active users on its platform. Tell me how you feel about TikTok, why you think it's such an incredibly explosive business and you know, from there, I'll go into my thoughts on this acquisition. Yeah, I mean, and I, I do want to talk about why the acquisition is important and why someone would want to buy it um, more specifically. But just in general, it, TikTok it was able to find its place in this world of like easy to create content backed with an algorithm that is so insanely addictive that, in my opinion, could totally replace um, you know, how people spend their time, but what it's been able to do for this like growing creator community, it's become, if you look at it, if you, you know, in marketing, the top of the funnel, right? You're being discovered on TikTok. So you lowered the barrier to entry for someone to be a creator. TikTok's algorithm pushes you out to be insanely viral really, really quickly. So, you know, back in the day, if you want, if you started, if you were on YouTube, it took you a long time to hit the amount of views that you would hit on TikTok. And so creators who weren't creators are now creators are being found on TikTok and are creating brands out of themselves and pushing their audience out to their Instagram pages, YouTube pages. And, you know, ultimately if they want to start a podcast and of course brand deals, but TikTok has become the ultimate entry point for a creator. It's never been done before in, in any other way. And so if TikTok were to just disappear, it would be an insane hit, an insane hit to the creator community, which is the literal way that people are consuming content today. This is a fucking stupid Ben. I'm just going to say it. TikTok is by no means as much of a threat as the Trump administration is making it out to be. There's been little to no proof to date that TikTok is illegally using our data to power Chinese surveillance or government programs in general. Um, Moreover, and I, I mentioned this in, in season one, episode one, mm -hmm. nice full circle moment between yeah. TikTok's explosive year and then all of a sudden they're banned, right? TikTok is separate from Douyin, which are both owned by ByteDance. This is the corporate structure. Chinese users use Douyin and Western users use TikTok. And the data never moves between TikTok and Douyin. In fact, TikTok has a completely Westernized team is comprised of a completely different team in general than Douyin. So on the whole, these aren't different companies. Secondly, this sets a terrible precedent. I mean, the US is, we're basically saying the US is the only country that has the right to capture and analyze and do whatever we want with your data. Facebook operates in every single, every single country, basically. Maybe not China specifically, but in every other country, Facebook operates. What Twitter operates, YouTube operates, Google operates. What happens when all of these countries say, hey, we actually don't want any outside country to be able to have a social media platform inside of our country? Mm -hmm. That's crap. Yeah. What that does is that put, that, I mean, think about what social media has done for the world. And now we're basically shooting globalism in the foot by setting a precedent that you could ban social platforms just because you are a little bit concerned that another company from another country is doing exactly what your own companies are doing. Imagine Europe closed off their social network. Lastly, it basically puts anyone who wants to buy TikTok, obviously, in the best position possible.
TikTok has 2 billion downloads and 800 million users and hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Acquisitions like this can usually take months, if not years. And now this whole thing has to be done in less than a month. While we're at it, we could talk about this now. What well, are, I was going to say, yeah, what are your thoughts on the acquisition, um, possible acquisition of TikTok? Microsoft and Twitter are like the current two biggest contenders to be able to take over TikTok. Um, and my big question first off was why Microsoft? Like what is, Mike, what is Microsoft the PC provider, the software provider of the world? Maybe I guess you could say in terms of social, the owners of LinkedIn and Skype They've doing had social with, um, envy for years. They tried to buy Facebook a couple of years ago and they they've did. been trying, you know, listen, they've been trying to get into the internet game with Bing for a long time. So <laughs> it's just like baked into the company, I think. It doesn't matter yeah. if you're Microsoft, Cisco, Sony. I don't care who you are, but it, I don't care who you are. Forget about the synergies between, and I guess I know I threw in that word synergy, but think about the synergies, synergies between, forget the synergies between Microsoft and TikTok or Sony and TikTok. TikTok is distribution. TikTok is the future of distribution. It's like buying, you know, 30 cable channels back in the day. And a record label. And a record label, okay? Yep. That's power. I don't care who you are. I don't care what company. I don't care what you do. That's power. You own the distribution. You own the world. Or at least you, right. own the, you, know, you own the United States in this case. But that's why someone wants to buy it. That's why Microsoft would want to buy it. It's a smart buy. They've got a ton of cash. They've got a ton of cash. And so buying a TikTok wouldn't be the biggest hit in the world for them. Someone should definitely find this valuable. Like what I'm hearing from you is TikTok is an incredible buy. Of course, it's an incredible buy. How this works with Microsoft, I just don't fully understand. Like I understood when, my, when Microsoft was getting to the social game by buying LinkedIn and Skype around the same time. Say, okay, we're entering into corporate communications. But TikTok is just like a totally new market from everything that Microsoft's been trying to pursue in the past. I don't, I mean, other than Xbox Live, they don't really have anything that touches this generation. It would be amazing for Twitter to buy it. It would be amazing. Oh my God. Because <laughs> they wow. really shot the bet on Vine. They, they really yeah, shot really, the bet. Really. But they wouldn't buy, I don't know if they buy it as far, or, or they would merge, merge with TikTok's uh, United States operations because I don't know if they have the money to buy it. But what an operation that would be. My God. That's a match made in heaven. Why don't we have, like, why isn't Facebook in the ring here? They're not allowed to be. <laughs> they were Antitrust. just in Congress. They were just... Uh, Mark Zucker was just testifying for being too big. Now they're going to go out and spend $40 billion on TikTok. Actually, that, this is where, you know, I was reading the other day. This is where Microsoft paid its dues, okay? They dealt with this already. They dealt with antitrust issues. They paid the price. They, they dealt with all the scrutiny. And now they're kind of doing their own thing. And they have the opportunity to come in and buy this. Apple can't. Amazon can't. Facebook can't. Is anybody else there? Um, Amazon, Google, you missed Google. Google. The, and Google would love to buy TikTok. They would love to buy TikTok. Google Plus is a big fail. They've been trying to get into oh, social yeah. too. So they, all these guys cannot, they, they can't even go near this thing. Kara Swisher actually talks about a lot of that. First thing, so I was listening to an interview she did with Pod Save America. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she said about it is that Facebook isn't really in the business of innovating as much as you would think. What they're really good at is copying and buying. And that's a million percent true. You think about almost all of their viral features, they were basically pulled from other platforms. Uh, you look at, obviously, Instagram stories. That is Snapchat stories. You look what? at Instagram reels. That is TikTok. Yes. They, they're number one at copying other businesses. 
But on that note, let's actually move into our Kara Swisher interview. Oh, but first we have to do our ad. Yeah, this episode of Casual Poor is brought to you by Future, Future Fit. Fit. Yes, Future the Fit. ultimate, the ultimate innovation in uh, in personal fitness. So, how handsome do I look? There's, there's a lot of chest hair going on right now. There's a lot of season two is all is the season of chest hair. But aside uh, from the chest hair, I didn't know that. If you can never agreed on that, <laughs> season two is all about chest hair and Robert looking super handsome because he's using Future Fit every single day since at least the close of season one. Uh, Future Fit for those who view who don't already know, and you could listen to our episode actually with one of the execs at Future Fit is a mobile app that connects you with a personal trainer and then creates a custom workout routine for you. They send over an Apple Watch and a Future Fit Hydro Flask drinking bottle, and they put you in a one-on-one with your new personal trainer. My guy's name is John, and I told John, look, man, I eat like shit, I don't sleep, I don't really like working out, and I want to get jacked, so work with that. I, I, I love John. I actually, I, I recommended Future Fit to a friend, and he uses John too, and so like, it's like really funny yeah. that you, both of you are using John. Um, Cool guy. Because he's the fucking man. He's the best. There's more than just John on Future Fit. So go to future.fit slash casual to get $75 off your first month. Do it. You won't regret it. Do it. You will not regret it. Now, let's move on to Kara Swisher. And we are back with Casual Port. Today, we are sitting down with the legendary personal heroes of me and Sal since we were as long as I can remember. As long as we could remember. We are with the very amazing. So you're Kara young Swisher. and I'm old. Let's establish that. Well, you know, <laughs> listen, it's, it's all good. It's fine. I don't care. I'm really old. <laughs> so we're with the very amazing Kara Swisher, uh, the host of the award-winning Pivot podcast. Kara. Um, and again, personal heroes of ours, thank you for agreeing and answering our cold email to come onto the show. No problem. Here I am. So what do you got? So I, I, I do have a quick, uh, you know, quick embarrassing thing to tell you, which is that, you know, I used to watch, obviously I used to watch the All Things D conferences and, you know, and I was a big, I was a big uh, Steve Jobsy guy and I still am, but um, I used to like pretend you know i used to like play it out in my brain if i sat in the red chair and i was being interviewed by you and walt so i just wanted to put that out there a lot of people actually say that to walt and i for years and still continue because i continue to use the red chair through code and and uh, doing recode decode so a lot of people are like i'm gonna deserve a chance to get in the red chair with steve job <laughs> sat and i'm like he actually sat in that chair and then they freak out you know where is the red chair right now well well, we have a lot of red chairs, you know, it was, a, it was so we bought about six of them for our shows, you know, so in case we had four people and two, we never had bigger interviews than three and then the two of us. So I think we have six of them. I bought one myself and <laughs> Walt bought one for personal things. And I just gave one to my producer. I gave one of mine to the producer for Rico Deco because we finished the show and he coveted it. So I, I gave it to him. You know. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well yeah, they're very expensive chairs. Anyway, they exist. And they're, they're all the ones that everybody sat in. We, we have the exact ones that all these major figures have sat in. And in, up till today, because we use it when we taped Rico Decode, everybody who comes on the show uh, hmm. pretty much sat, that we, that we could do in, a, in, in person was sitting in that red chair. Wow. Everybody. Wow. Oh, that's wow. So wow. Cool. That's amazing. That's yeah. so cool. So you wanted to be a spy growing up, but you ended up at the Washington Post covering tech in its earliest of stages. 
you were following and, and reporting on AOL when they were still uh, behind a car dealership. And you've basically, you are the pioneer in modern tech journalism. People have covered Microsoft, people have covered major companies before, but before that it was all press releases or just reporting what was on an RSS feed. You turned tech reporting into almost political reporting or into the same reporting that we hear on the nightly news. Where did you think to bring that excitement into tech reporting? Well, I'm not a techie. I wasn't, I didn't grow up. I didn't have, you know, the degrees in tech. And I think I just treated it like a story and a narrative. And I think one of the, the problems that tech had early on was that it was covered by, by fan, either fanboys or highly technical people, but not storytellers. And I thought it was a story. And so a lot of people were telling you, I, I had an expression I use that you don't want to tell, you want to people, tell people the time, not how the watch works. Like, who cares? They want to tell them what's going on. And, and there are reporters who cover, you know, the technical aspects of it, but it really was quite a fanboy. And it was mostly boys. It was all boys, actually. And so I just thought of it like a business story, that this was, a, this was the next creation of a great American business. And I looked at the same way you would look at Thomas Edison, or who is a businessman. Everybody, he, he should be covered that way. Um, Henry Ford is a businessman. And so I, it was kind of like Gates was like Henry Ford, Steve Jobs is like Thomas Edison. And I, I thought about it that way versus, and then the internet was the new invention with like the car or the telephone or electricity. And so that's how I, I thought of it in a historical sense is that you could cover it like, like another business. When you walked into AOL's office or whatever it was, you know, did you know that this was going to be a crazy new way of communicating that the world was going to change? Did you know that when you were standing there that this was, this was a new world? Well, Steve Case told me he was going to be very famous and rich. So that, I guess that was, <laughs> he did. well, you know, that's easy to do. Um, to say, I know, but that's a lot easy of people to... did. Uh, yes, I did. I did think I had a sense. If I'm a student of history, I think one of the things is people say, how do you become a reporter or anything else? You study history, you study English, you study... So if you study history and you look at inventions, whether it's, again, the television, the, the movies, telephone, whatever technology is coming up, automobiles, electricity would be a big one. Um, you have to look at how they develop, right? And so I thought that this, when I saw the internet for the first time, I was like, oh, this is the next leap from, te you know, television, really, you know, te telecommunications. Mm. And I first saw it in, in both, first it was the internet and then it was mobile devices. And, you know, it was sort of, they, I, I separate them a little bit, um, even though they sort of work together. Sure. Um, but I really did see it as the next big iteration or technology that was going to, just like the printing press or stuff. So that's how I covered it right away. Because I, you could see, not everybody could see, but I was at the New uh, Washington Post, and I remember telling the people there that they were going to be finished, that the print was finished. Let's fast forward. You started the All Things D blog with Walt Mossberg. Right. You said, you know, essentially all these conferences are boring. Um, you know, essentially they're just really like, you know, promotions for whoever's sponsoring the conference. And so you really um, created this idea of live journalism. Yeah. And, you know, essentially grilling the person, interviewing them as if you did it for a newspaper article in person live. Yes. Put me in the room. Let's start with the most famous. No, not the most famous, maybe the second most famous. You're sitting across from Mark Zuckerberg. He's sweating through his sweater, his hoodie. Put me in that room. What are you thinking? That was a tough one when that happened. Um, we had, I had interviewed him before many times. I think I interviewed with Cheryl once together when she got that job. Um, mm -hmm. 
And he was always a really nervous person. And at that time, that movie, The Social Network, was coming out. And he was really not happy. And he was, he was very upset, actually, because he felt like it didn't portray him correctly. I agree with him on that. Um, he's not as malevolent as the character played in the, hmm. in the movie. But he was like, this is how people are going to think of me. And so he was in a frame of state of mind that wasn't great. And he, was, he has... Um, he said he was sick. I think he has a, he had an anxiety attack. I think that's what happened. Um, and mm. he I later found out from people close to him that he had them from time to time. Um, and I think he had a, he has a sweating issue. He did uh, found out from his family actually. Um, and so, so I think he just got so nervous and wasn't feeling well and felt bad about the movie. And so when we, we were grilling him on stage about privacy and that was always an issue with Mark. When we're doing the interview, I was sitting closer to him. They always, we always sat me closer to the man because the man tended not to look at me. Interesting. I hate to say that, but that was what they did. They were like, look right past me. wild. And so I always would sit. Uh, it's the way it is. So we just sat. It was our little trick not to, to ignore me. Walt was really grilling him. Um, and he for some reason started to sweat and I was aware of the sweating problem before I had heard about it. And someone had told me he had passed out somewhere before and he wow. started really sweating. He started really sweating and it was, Walt couldn't see it because he was, you know, five feet away. I was right next to him and I was like, Oh goodness. That's like the, you know, the movie mission impossible where he's sweating <laughs> and he catches it. Yeah. And so he started doing this kind of thing or broadcast news. And I was like, Whoa, that's a lot of sweat. I think Cheryl was in the front row and Elliot Schrag, who's the PR guy, was in the front row and they noticed it. It started to get noticeable and they were sort of like freaking out. Like, and oh, so fuck. was I. And I was trying not to say something. You don't want to, you don't want to put someone at, of course. You know, uncomfortable, but it became ridiculous. It became ridiculous because it was really, really like an enormous amount of sweat. Wow. And I, you know, I don't know why that happened, but then I saw like white develop around his mouth and his eyes, and I thought, oh no, 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 he's going to faint. What if he faints? What if he goes down? That would just be terrible if he passed out. And I had heard he yeah. had before. This was I had just heard from someone at a meeting that he had a he got nervous and passed out, and so I, I didn't know if it was true or not, but I had heard it, and I was like, ah, geez, can you imagine if he falls down on the ground here? I was like, oh no, we'll, we'll, that we'll never get another person to come be interviewed by us again. He <laughs> killed Mark Zuckerberg, and so I so I was like, are you okay or something like that? Let me you look hot, take that off. And I wanted to put him at ease, you yeah. know what I mean? Because he was clearly you don't want to. It was a tough conversation but you don't want to like torture someone no i'm with and you I although agree. people want to torture him this today they want to torture him but yeah. um so anyway so i was like don't you want to take that off and he really didn't he's like i'm fine i'm like you're not fine like i was trying to like get it off without calling total attention to what not everybody could see was happening and right. so um and so he finally took off his jacket and he needed a minute and so inside his jacket thank goodness there was a bunch of symbols you know it was like one of these weird facebook symbols yeah that was crazy sweatshirts or whatever and there was a, mm -hmm. a face it looked like the, i called it the illuminati i made a joke i love that when you said that i love that yeah because that book was popular then and so so I, I got it off of him and I made fun of the jacket so he could take a minute. And then we got him something to wipe himself off. And I wanted him to take a minute to breathe down and get the attention mm -hmm. off of him because sure. you know how embarrassing that is. Of and I course. think he was hugely embarrassed. 
And then we went back to the interview and he was great. Yeah. yeah. So you made fun of the jacket, not to berate him or not to just like continue to hit him while he's done, but it was actually to give him a second to collect himself and distract the audience. Yeah. And I made fun of the jacket and he wrote us a nice note afterwards saying, thank oh, you so he much did. for doing that. And uh, one of his investors thought we were mean, but I was like, we <laughs> saved him there, my friend. Um, but yeah. You know, it was, it, he wrote a lovely note, a very like, thank you so much. I apologize. And he had nothing to apologize for. It was just a physical reaction, how, whether he had a cold or he was anxious or whatever. And so, you know, he's had a hard time in interviews with me. Um, he, then later he had a very hard time interview. This is of, of his own making and the things he said about Alex Jones and then Holocaust deniers and then people in Myanmar. And that was him fully trained. Sure. And in that case, I didn't, I didn't back off uh, at all in that interview. Mm. He was um, never a jerk compared to a lot of other people. I'll tell you that. Like maybe he was when I wasn't there, but a lot of other people were sort of arrogant and prickish. But he sure. was never. He was always very polite. Hmm. I was always well. well was speaking of race. speaking of arrogant, the second put me in the room is you're sitting across from uh, Steve Jobs. It's 2010, and um, you know it was right before he he, he passed. Um, did you? What was your impression of that moment? Um, what was your impression of Steve just generally? Well, I thought that he was one of the most vibrant people I, uh, I ever met um, in general and, and so interesting and passionate. And at the same time, I thought he's about to die. I, I, you know what I mean? He was so sickly. And I'd seen, we had, we had interviewed mm. him over these years of illness. Sorry, that's my son trying to get in. I'm doing an interview, sweetie. Um, and uh, so I'd seen him over the years and I'd seen him sort of, he was sick and then he got better and he gained some weight and then he got skinny again. And this was, he looked skeletal actually. And you could see those pictures, but despite the fact that he looked quite ill, he was so vibrant and full of energy and passion. And he answered every question with really great verve and like that he was going to live forever and very much alive and so i really admired that i didn't find him as arrogant as other people found really him. He was confident i think he could be obnoxious yeah i didn't I, I just think he was really passionate about things um and i think he didn't tolerate people who weren't as passionate as, as him and he could be a jerk to people but you know he was a jerk out loud everybody else was a jerk quietly so i didn't mind he was so brilliant it was you know i think it, i have a something that i've talked about before which is a prick to productivity ratio like <laughs> this much of a prick but he's really productive so i can put up with it if someone's really a prick and is not very productive i don't put up with it um so uh, so he was i found him really i always had such interesting conversations he was such a great conversationalist before the book came out many years before about his his adoption that i was backstage mm -hmm. we had this amazing discussion about it and i was vivid that was fascinating because i had you know i have uh i had my own son with a donor a, 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 that, that we don't know and my my then ex-wife had a, had used the same donor and he asked all kinds of questions about who the donor was and how did we know them and and then it, it it moved into his own life. And I was, I had never heard that story. And I just was always, he had so many interesting insights about lots of things that weren't, had nothing to do with tech. Wow. Yeah. He was really something. She, he was a lot of fun. He liked Walt better than me because they were very close um, from a reporter subject point of view, but he eventually got to like him. Walt didn't go easy on him. 
Walt no, didn't go easy no, on him either. Sometimes he did. Sometimes he didn't. Like Walt, I love Walt because of that. Because he sometimes loves things and he didn't. He had a really interesting relationship between him, Gates, and Jobs. I thought that was always an interesting, you know, in terms of a reporter who covered two of the most significant uh, icons of, of uh, business and tech history. You famously had Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Yeah. Within, within spitting distance of each other. Oh, they saw each other more than you think. They didn't. They didn't do a lot together. That was the first major interview they'd ever done together. Uh, I think it was one of the few. One of the few they'd done jointly with regular reporters, not just talking to each other. These are two massively distinct personalities that are the most powerful people in their industries that are competing head-on with each other. How did? I mean, how did you navigate? Like, what were the? What were the unspoken politics? that were going on in the room. Or well, what was lots. So when we asked them, we wanted to do this. We thought it was like the interview of history, right? You have to put these two together. And nobody had done it. Nobody had done it. And in, in that kind of setting. And so we, um, what we did was we asked Steve first, because we knew Bill would say yes if Steve said yes, but we didn't necessarily think Steve would say yes if Bill said yes, because Steve <laughs> was a top dog. You know what I mean? Sure. And so we, so the minute Steve said, oh, I can do that, uh, Walt did this. Um, and then we went to Bill and said, Steve wants to do it. Bill's like, oh, he does? Like he, and he huh. said yes right away. And then we put out a press release immediately so that they wouldn't back out, like Lock immediately, like two seconds later. Quick, <laughs> you know, and then they'd have to back out which I think was really smart of us. So anyway, so we, uh, so we had them both uh, together. And before that, we did an interview with just Steve by himself, Walt did. And in the interview, he insulted Bill Gates by saying, um, Walt said, how come uh, iTunes works so well on Windows? And he said, well, if you lived in hell and had a glass of ice water, you'd be, someone, you'd be happy too. <laughs> and that was really insulting. And then it got back to Bill. And he got back to Bill Gates. And so he was very upset when he walked in the green room at Steve. Because Steve had spent his career pantsing Bill Gates constantly. You know and what you I mean? Felt like that in the room. Snickering. I, it was, oh my God, totally. I tried to get them to take a picture and Bill didn't want to. No, I don't want to. And I was like, this is for history, you know, together. And Steve, <laughs> Steve was the top dog, like in that relationship. And so, huh. so I, you know, he was always sort of besting him in verbally he has gotten more charming um over the years and he's the work he's doing now is really quite impressive in so many ways um and i really have moved from okay to real out, out outsized admiration for the work he's done um over the years and so um so we were uh we were sitting back there and bill was really really uh upset when he came in the room. Bill heard of this insult that Steve had done of him. And Steve was sitting there just, he's always smiling. Steve was always like, <laughs> kind of thing. And, he, um, and he walks in and Bill is super terse. And if you recall, Bill had a, a thing where he rocked quite a bit. He mm -hmm. has a rocking motion that he does to mm -hmm. soothe himself, self-boost. And just, we were worried about the whole interview because we wanted to keep it high level. We didn't want a lot of bickering because we wanted them to be like Ford and Edison talking. And right. so it, we were worried about the interview. So were the PR people because, because Steve had once again indulged himself by poking Bill Gates. Essentially. <laughs> and, uh, and so he was talking, we were talking back and forth. We asked him a question and he said, Bill Gates goes, how would I know? I live in hell. I run hell, I guess. And Steve <laughs> Jobs had a, a thing of water with condensation on it. And he said, here you go. Like he handed him a <laughs> thing of ice water. And so they laughed. And then, it, and then, but during the interview, Steve, if you watch that interview very carefully, Steve is poking at him several times. There was one point where I'm like, I'm like, 
what's something you don't know about your relationship, right? He said, I think that was the question. It was an yes. easy layup softball, right? Mm-hmm. And Steve goes, well, for many years now, we've been married. Yeah, and that was great. This is pre-gay marriage. And so, so you could see Bill Gates like, <laughs> like I don't want to be anti-gay, <laughs> but I'm not. So the whole thing was so funny that it was just, and Steve knew he got him. So at at the end though, Steve Jobs did the most beautiful quote from the Beatles like that. uh, We're on a road together that, you know, just was heartbreaking. And so Bill Gates could never do any of that kind of stuff. Like he couldn't be funny and he couldn't be touching, but you know, Steve was able to do that and actually did characterize their relationship beautifully at the end, which I thought was very uh, kind to Bill Gates in that way, you know, showing, having had, having suffered at the hands of Microsoft, lots of companies, he was extraordinarily kind to Bill Gates uh, for his role in the, in the success of Apple. So was, wow. Yeah. To say, oh. I wish it would be interesting if he was still around, he probably would have gotten super crotchety, uh, but it would have been fascinating. Do you think he'd be as innovative if he was alive right now? Or do you think the times changed? Interesting. Yeah, I do. I don't think you lose something with age. You know, there's this, this idea that you can't be innovative and older, but that's not, not true. He was constantly uh, innovative and constantly changing. So I think he probably would have been just uh, fine. So that concludes Put Us in the Room. Um, I'm sure, look, there's a million other people we could ask you on, believe me. Musk. Like- Elon Musk. Okay, let's do it, please. One more. That was I was like, do we have the time to ask about Elon Musk? Well, like, Can we like ask about him for me. Elon Musk is so, you know, as, as Steve Jobs for me was so easy to. I guess not. Nah, he wasn't that easy, but he was easier to relate to. I mean, you know, the way he spoke, the way he thought, it was just it was easier to relate to him. To Musk, it's like I don't know from where to where. I I I can't even keep up with this guy. I, I can't even. You know, I can't even look up to him because I can't even get close to the guy. Yeah. Well, he was interesting. He was, he, you know, I covered him when he had a company called X.com, if you remember. Do you remember that company? Yes. Yeah, except it was just a payments company. It wasn't that, he wasn't Elon Musk then. He wasn't fancy. He was a very different guy. Um, and he wasn't doing the kind of things he was doing, whether it was SpaceX or the tunnel, uh, the tunnel company or, um, or Tesla. I mean, this was way before that. And he was just your average garden variety entrepreneur, just a little more interesting because he came from South Africa and stuff like that. But he wasn't Elon Musk for many years. And, uh, but then he sort of developed this persona around himself that was, uh, you know, musky, and I don't know what to say, you know, <laughs> yeah. off, you know, offbeat kind of Kanye West, like of tech, um, yes. mm-hmm. super creative, super innovative, super way out there. Um, and, and sometimes a little crazy, right. With a lot of some of his, you know, imp- his lack of impulse control on Twitter, for example, is an understatement. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. Uh, I, I, I don't mind it. I don't, I think people get a little crazy. I don't care. Who cares? Yeah, sure. Um, everyone goes crazy. Everyone's like, he's running a company. I'm like, well, okay. Then don't buy the stock. You know, what do you want me to say? <laughs> um, and he's done very well for them, by the way. Speaking of don't buy the stock, true, you, should yes. buy a, you should have bought the stock crazy, yes. crazy all the way to the bank. Um, so I always thought I really, I do forgive him a lot more because although I think sometimes like I wrote a very tough column on him recently when he was sort of beating up on local figures, uh, because he's being, that's my, one of my children. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, and, uh, because he was, uh, he, you know, he's a big heavy white and he was bullying a local official. I didn't particularly like that look and I didn't like what he did in Thailand. But I thought that was just beneath him. Um, but in general, he's a super uh, innovative guy. He's always trying and doing different things. And the stuff he's trying is really quite um, 
massively important compared to everybody else. I mean, there's nobody even close uh, who does, who's doing, he's doing three things, four things that are really the SpaceX, uh, the tunnel, uh, the tunnel stuff, the stuff around um, uh, energy, the sun, the solar company, and then Tesla. So I'm, I'll give him a lot of rope. I'll tell you. He's not even human. To me, he's like not even human. He is. He's an, he's just an odd bird. He's an interesting and innovative guy, and I think he feels like his. He reminds me of Howard Hughes. Um, now I know how Howard Hughes ended up, but Howard Hughes was a hugely innovative person during his life around aer- aerospace. Uh, you know the, the the spruce goose, all kinds of stuff that Howard Hughes did. Howard Hughes moved forward aviation in a massive way that people do not appreciate because they remember only the crazy old man as, as he ended <laughs> right. it. Unfortunately, and I'm not saying that Elon's going that direction, but um, and then he had his issues because Howard Hughes has had mental health issues. Um, again, Elon has talked about some of his bipolar issues, but. Um, but I think that in general, the plus side of what he's created is really quite significant. Did you know that he was going to, that, that from X.com was going to come this guy who. You were looking for another Steve Jobs, right? We were all looking for someone who, you know, I would say if you wanted to play it out, Jeff Bezos is like Bill Gates, ends up richer and more strategic and consistent. Yes. And Elon is much more like Steve Jobs. Wow. Uh, yeah, to put them together. That that would be an interesting interview. They don't like each other, I, I doubt, because they're both space people. And I'm sure Elon looks down on Jeff's space efforts at Blue Origin. And uh, I don't know what Jeff thinks. Jeff would never tell you. So you don't envision a world where you could have like that Steve Jobs, Bill Gates 2.0? You know, that's a great idea. I should try for that. There's, just, there's, there's no way. There's just no way. There's no plus for, for, for either. Well, Elon would like it. I think Jeff is just too smart to, to, I think it would be fantastic. That would be some interview, wouldn't it? That would be wow. Nice. That's a good idea. Maybe I'll try. I don't know. <laughs> that would, that well, would be a hell of an interview. That would be a hell of an interview. Jeff's <laughs> a very good interview. He, he's, Jeff, we've done some great interviews with him. I thought he doesn't speak. He doesn't speak. He's not, he's, he is very, like you said, he's very controlled. So why should he? No plus for him. But when he does them, he's great. Walt did a great interview just two or three years ago that was quite good. You know, he's talking about buying the Washington Post and stuff like that. He he speaks when he feels like it, like around the sexting. I thought he did a good job. He did an excellent job. Own that story. He did. He wasn't going to be embarrassed. Why should he? He's the world's richest man. Not just that. He's the world's most innovative man at this point. Pretend you're him. Why should I? Why should I? Yeah. No, like (laughs) what does it serve you at that point? You're already worth, what, $175 billion dollars. There's people can't wait to write about you. If they see one off color thing that you said years ago, they'll write about it. Yeah. Look at Mark and his sunscreen. I thought that was really bad. I was, I actually tweeted about it. You know, people making fun of the sun. He was wearing the right amount of sunscreen. So he's, he's very fair. And people just had to like dunk on him. And I'm like, and I was like, don't dunk on him for his friggin' sunscreen. And everyone's like, Kara, you're so tough on him. I'm like, not about his sunscreen. Like, what's your problem? Leave him alone. Like, like I, I, I was on Bill Maher. He did the same thing. Always oh, new, weird looking. I'm like, you're weird looking. Yeah, I saw that interview, and you were just like, I am not. I am not going into that subject. Why would that- I? This has nothing to do with it. I thought that was really, you know. And I know that, you know. Listen, his platform has propagated hate speech all over the planet, and I think he's making a series of really awful decisions. Uh, and I've said it very plainly. And he's really a dangerous person, really in many ways as a business person. But I'm not going to. It's not the way to win is not to insult his sunscreen at all i just don't see that's the it diminishes your argument about Agreed. him and he deserves a lot of scrutiny look i don't mind if you dunk on his electric surfboard that apparently surfboard people don't like what he was that's fine like okay <laughs> that's fair 
It's, it's mm-hmm. stupid, but it's fair. Um, and you can dunk on his, his uh, fights in Hawaii over land ownership. That's yeah. the, we're one of the richest people in the world trying to grab a lot of land. That's a great story. Uh, yeah. So anyway, you can if you want. I just don't see how you win. I, I, whenever I do it, I feel bad. And I think I only do it, I've done it once or twice around Trump. And I don't feel good doing it. I'd rather just focus on his shitty policies <laughs> yeah. and, and stupid things he says. And that's, you've got so much material in that regard. You don't have to talk about his orangeness. He's <laughs> unattractive. Absolutely. Uh, no question. One of the things that always, I mean, that, that, and it very much inspired the way that we, uh, the, we approach casual poor was the way that you were very focused on the identities and the actual personalities behind tech and the actual individuals that make the world turn. And like I mentioned earlier in the interview, you've turned tech reporting or general business reporting into what almost feels like political reporting. Yeah, and well, it is now, right? Yeah, basically. And to that effect, you hear about these feuds. Uh, the obvious is the Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. The less obvious is probably the Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. Are there parallels between po- how we report about politics and how we report about tech in the way that there are biases? in one direction over another. You have liberal political reporting, conservative political reporting. Is there an equivalent inside of tech reporting? Well, tech people would say that, right? You just saw recently on that um, Clubhouse, wherever the hell that site is, whatever, you know, they were like... <laughs> Robert talks about Clubhouse 24-7. It is the bane of his existence having to hear that. He's listening to, to, to Scott Galloway's Douche House ad. We did a Douche House ad. I didn't um, hear that. It's good. It's really funny. Um, <laughs> You know, come to douche house. You're rich, white, and you're the victim. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, the victimization has taken over in Silicon Valley, and you're seeing a very anti-press thing. Um, and they're attacking reporters like Taylor Lawrence, who just covers like dances. On, and covers memes on TikTok. Yeah. Honestly, I know and her she well. Just pushed, she pushed back just just lightly, and they went crazy. Yeah. Uh, and and usually they push back on young women, which is really fascinating um i get much less pushback and i'm much harder on them which is really interesting um and they that's a there's a reason for that um but in any case she's very good at pushing back as it turns out um but what's what's hard about it right now is that they really they 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 feel victimized because they're getting their just desserts for what they've done mm. and they don't want to be blamed for some of the damage that their inventions have have wrought and so i think there that you could pretend there's a there's a two sides to this but there really isn't that they've made these inventions without any regulation and without any oversight and some of them are turning out to be very bad and they certainly don't want to blame themselves and they don't want to and now they want to blame reporters who are you know reporting mm-hmm. on a lot of these things and so i i wouldn't say it's the same you know it's the same thing with trump you get into this false equivalency the press is unfair well you're wreaking havoc everywhere like come on like the fact of the matter is you've got people up in portland you got this you got the, whatever the day of the week it is yeah. um he's doing something ridiculous and to to I think what happens is reporters tend to give people the benefit of the doubt a lot more than they should. And when they start to say, you know what, I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to report on it cleanly. They find that to be excessive um, and not in their viewpoint because most of these people, many of these people, not most of them, uh, you know, they get licked up and down all day and night. And so they must be brilliant and they have so much money and how dare you speak to me this way. And so I find that, I don't know if that's, makes it like political reporting. I know what it does is it makes it uncomfortable. And it's actually not the way I, I like them to see it coming when I'm 
coming after them. I always call people. I'm like, this is not going to look, make you look good. This and what do they good. say when you say that? They appreciate it. They appreciate it. Like, look, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is, I don't like what you're doing. Like when I was talking to Apple about Hey.com of the stuff yeah. that was going on, I did a call about it. It's like, I think you're wrong and I'm going to say so. And I, I do think adults, like the people at Apple do appreciate it. And I don't know, still don't agree with them about the app store. I think they're, they need some regulation or something to happen there. So it's a different kind of experience for a lot of developers. Um, and I think a lot of developers agree with me. Some of them don't. And so let's have it out, that kind of stuff. And I think they are okay to deal with because they are of the school of let's have it out. Yes. It's not, they're, they're not the my way or the highway kind of people that a lot of people have gotten. Same, Facebook has been very difficult to deal with because they are pretending they're not causing damage or they're, or they're sort of trying to slow roll people around what they're doing. Where does this end? These, these companies- They're regulated. When? Because all we do is talk. We go, oh, we're going to talk about it. And then someone goes up and talks to Congress for a little bit. Everyone's talking about it for a week and then it's Attorney over. Attorney General Elizabeth Warren. That's where it is. <laughs> uh, yes. No one thought anybody could take down Andrew Carnegie and, uh, you know, the Rockefellers. And, mm -hmm. and they remained wealthy as all can be. Sure. But they didn't That's remain as away. powerful as You're saying were. it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. Well, I, I want to hope so, because I remember in, what, 2018, when Mark Zuckerberg gets up in front of Congress and they're still asking him how Facebook makes money in the first place. It's just our government is fundamentally not prepared for what Silicon Valley is doing to the country, which is pushing it years and years and years and years into the future faster than anybody else. Hopefully, what, the way this turns out is not necessarily through excessive regulation, but adequate regulation. Right. And then innovation, the, the ability to let new companies pop up so that they can challenge Facebook. Like I wrote a column this week about TikTok and I'm like, take it, look, it's got the China problem, make it an American company, spin it off, and yep. then they can compete with Facebook. Yeah. Yay. Great. Yes. Great. A real competitor to Facebook. Agreed. Fantastic. Right. You know, run by a very competent CEO and with a lot of money. Well, I'd like to see that. Uh, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're not that big yet, but they certainly could be. Agreed. Agreed. So, so on that, actually, on this idea of regulation, is people treat regulation like it's a wet blanket on top of innovation. But in your opinion, you know, what could the government be doing to not just regulate the innovation that's going on, but actually promote innovation across the country? I think the problem is people see it as a one-stop shop. It's like it's antitrust, break them up, or it's uh, fine. It's everything. It's looking at antitrust where it's appropriate. Maybe it's appropriate with Amazon and their marketplace to break them up, like Amazon mm -hmm. selling and Amazon being a marketplace. Maybe that's a problem. Sure. We'll see. You know, maybe we should look at the app store. Maybe that's just a fine and some regulation on how you run it. Probably. That's not the, you know, it's not the most egregious problem with, with the, the Google and running search and digital advertising, which breaking it up between Facebook and them. Maybe we need to look at that and create, you know, a little bit. They need to break pieces of themselves off. Um, maybe, you know, with, uh, it depends on the company, right? It depends on what's search, but you're certainly not seeing innovation in social media. As I've said many times, you're not seeing it in social media search and commerce because of those three players, Amazon, Google, and, um, and, and Facebook. And so you, you could do a combination of things, investigations, you could do fines, but Europe does a lot of fines, obviously. Um, you know, new regulation they have to follow, smaller things, a privacy bill. It just, it, it needs to be nuanced and it has to be multifaceted so that it's not this, so we don't have to just wait and wait and wait for the right legislation to come along and, and really start to make these companies understand 
that they that, that what they do has consequences and and they like just like the cigarette companies like everyone's they're still cigarette companies they just don't get to do anything they want that's all you know and i don't i don't think that's a bad thing i mean i yeah. don't think it is agreed yeah the um so it sounds like you're saying that the the best way to promote innovation within the u.s is to create a fair marketplace where no one could get you know, not necessarily, you could get big, but not too big to compete with. Right, exactly. And I think also doing a lot of other things like, look, this government is, you know, can't run a pandemic, obviously. So we're not going to turn to them for innovation. I mean, it's still, when is it infrastructure week? I mean, Mary Trump was so funny, happy infrastructure week when she put out her book. Um, you know, we have a government that does not, has not been investing in basic research and doing all kinds of things that really helps innovation and moving into new areas. And, and meanwhile, the Chinese government, you know, they're so scared of China. Why don't they try to compete? Like, why don't oh, they yeah. make investments? So you're scared of them, then, you know, they're doing what it takes to become the next world leader in technology. We need to do that. We were, we were, do, we were doing that by our own innovation. And to me, a top-down authoritarian way of doing it, that'll work, but it'll be not as good. And up from the bottom way, up to the top with the help from the government and, you know, whether it be loans, whether it be this, or whether it be rules of the road, is the best way to promote, um, uh, promote innovation. And that is going to be really important as we're coming out of this uh, pandemic crisis and coronavirus crisis. Absolutely. There's going to have to be a lot of innovation in climate change, in automobiles and transportation, in um, healthcare and uh and education now we've seen how shitty it is if you have kids you know exactly how <laughs> yes. shitty the whole system is care, uh, healthcare child care this this is areas that are ripe for innovation and new ideas and that you know there's always a, a silver lining against every horrible situation and in this case maybe we can start to reimagine what uh, mark cuban recently told me was america 2.0 although we're on we're on we're on like 212.0 but <laughs> we are we are a nation constantly in change yes. and a part of that change is actually an upcoming election yeah after i heard your episode on pod save america i knew one day i would love to talk politics with Kara Swisher. yeah unfortunately sal and i made an agreement because i could get very political very quickly that um okay, you don't get talk, it too that intense. i'm not allowed to talk about politics right, on the show okay. so, so i'll have to wait till i'm really good at twitter he's a troll oh yeah he's a plus at it with the 2020 election around the corner, if you look at the past 50 years or so of presidential elections, tech has fueled politics in a way that people don't even realize. You know, for example, almost every single presidential candidate that's won has won not necessarily just because of their policy or the movement that they started, but because they picked up on a trend that their competitor didn't pick up on. Eisenhower with the political ad, JFK understanding the value of live TV and making sure he had a suit that looked good and wearing makeup in his debate. Obama understanding the value of YouTube. Trump even understanding the value of, you know, advanced data analytics and psychographic data through the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Analytica scandal. What is this next big tech wave? Or this next new paradigm that we may not have picked up on yet, that if a candidate could pick up on, could actually help them get their message across in a way that hasn't ever been done before. Um, I think in voting, uh, ways to vote, how to, how to innovate in voting and how people can get more votes, how you can get more people voting. We're arguing about mail-in voting, but really the future is digital voting and how that turns out. Um, so I think that's one of the big, the big topics I would focus on uh, quite a bit. Um, I suspect that someone that understands that obviously more around data. Uh, you know, we just interviewed uh, Rick uh, Wilson today, who's doing the Lincoln Project, which is using social media with these amazing ads and these high quality ads 
Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, really using Facebook, he called it the tool of the devil, but he said yeah. it's the most you know, important tool for a political operative these days. Um, really understanding micro-targeting in a way that's whoever can really, you know, Trump has done a very good job of that in the Trump campaign. Um, but he se- sort of steps all over himself by his own, speaking of impulse control and stupidity combined. So uh, so you have to think about who is going to be able to use these tools as they further develop in terms of locating people and everything, and who's going to be really good at it. Sure. Um, and so I think that's that. those are the skills. And someone who's very skilled at working, you know, someone who's very skilled today, uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the way she pushed back on a guy who called her a bitch. Look, it's never happened to me, but, you know, bitches get things done. Like, you know, and she's. <laughs> I did a great column about her and Trump and how different they were and the same in that she speaks native internet. He's new to it and he's quite good at it in a bad way, but she's good at it in a some other way she's very powerful in that regard um Uh, but there's a lot of people really pioneering mixes stuff on tiktok whether it be uh virtual i think virtual would be is a really interesting area and and again election security is of course the most important um uh the most important thing we have to think about going forward not just not just mail-in ballots or whatever the heck agreed agreed I, I, this question popped into my head the second that your kid walked into a room. I remember looking at your Twitter recently, and I think your son just had uh, just asked his prom date to a virtual prom. Not a virtual, it was a real prom. It was a real prom. See, that's wild for us because to us, you are Kara Swisher. You are fucking Kara Swisher. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no other analogy. Yeah. But to your son, your mom. That's an interesting thing to deal with and watch. Um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff he, He's my oldest son is much more uh, not doesn't mind being well known on social media. My other son doesn't like it. And in fact, recently slapped me hard on it, uh, not physically, but he, I deserved it. Um, and so he's much more, he, he's very involved. He reads a lot of memes. He watches YouTube and stuff like that. He's quite good at it. And he uses it a lot for uh, his own education, which is great. Um, but both of them are, are okay with it, I guess. They don't love it when people stop me in the streets, the geeky people. I guess they don't love that. Does that happen a lot? Oh, yeah. It's, wow. Especially around Pivot. It's interesting. People are always like, How, Scott's an asshole or Scott's great. You're an <laughs> asshole. Neither one. We, we either have people who like Scott or like me. Um, and then I have a, a nine-month-old baby with my girlfriend, Amanda. Oh, wow. And uh, baby, loves, baby loves it all because she gets a lot of analog activity with her brothers and us because we're all at home. Yeah. So the baby's having a great uh, time now. It's the best, uh, best of all worlds for her. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and that's an interesting thing to have a baby girl. Cause I, I was talking to Amanda yesterday about this, but um, I think a lot more about online, you know, protection and, and, you know, these issues around, you know, there's all these controversies around um, addiction, which I think are interesting to have, but there's very clear studies that girls lose a lot of self-esteem through a lot of what goes on online, the likes and the things like that, which is how Facebook started with hot or not. Right. Right. So it was really, I think a lot about it. I'm like, wow, it's what's going to be like when she's 16. What is, what is is she going to have virtual things? Are they going to have drones delivering things? Are they going to be, you know, always in their, always in their digital world? Is that going to be their only persona? And so I, and especially as a girl, I think a lot about it, you know, much more, I wasn't being careless, not thinking sure. about two boys, but it's much, they have very different challenges than girls do. And although my teenagers, they also have to deal with, you know, 
one of my kids, my, my oldest son was mad because he was still on red on Snapchat. And I was like, well, who cares? And then I was like, oh, when people didn't call you back, you know, right. but now, but now, you know, they didn't call you back. Right. Right. right so right, yeah, right. Now you and then know. I was like, yeah, now, you know, right. And I was like, oh, you're right. That sucks. Like, you know, so, so it's an interesting time. And I, I hope they, um, I hope they understand that they need to live very, uh, I think we've tried to have them live more analog lives that are much more um, robust than digital lives. But, wow. but they're going to live both. You, know, sure. you have to be thinking hard about young people right now. They're pretty smart compared to millennials are sort of- That I would say. I would agree but, with that. Yeah, but I mean, if you, I put them on my podcast once or twice, especially Louie, the oldest one. He's, people are always like, wow, he really has a good point of view. I think people in this Gen, gen X, is that it? Gen Z? Gen, gen Z. Z. Gen, gen Z. Z. I'm Gen X. Um, gen, or I'm the other one. Whatever. Um, it, people in this generation are very different from millennials. Millennials are kind of, if you want to just group people and things, uh, are very self-aware of what's yes. going on in a, in a much better way. I don't know how to explain that. But yeah. they're, much, they're much calmer about it than people slightly older than them. Absolutely. And who knows what the baby will be like. It's funny that you're saying that. I was literally oh, just... Wow. Oh, hey, oh, buddy. My God. <laughs> For anybody listening, she just brought her nine-month-old daughter onto the Zoom call. She loves oh, it. my God. Wow. Oh, there she is. She wow. loves the screens. Say hi. Wave. Say no. <laughs> don't grab it. How big is Clara? How oh, Kara, she's too cute. Yeah, she is. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. She's going to like, she's very confident. She's loving the camera, though. Like, she, you know, she's she like, does she wants love to get the involved. <laughs> she does. Wave hi. Say hi. Oh, Wave, my God. Clap, 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 clap. No, you're not going to be. <laughs> they subscribe to Casual Pour anywhere <laughs> yeah. you listen to podcasts. She does not drink yet. So <laughs> she likes milk. She likes, likes, likes. Like <laughs> formula and stuff like right? You like wow. watermelon is what you like. Wow. <laughs> Do you like that? Do you want to have dinner? We gotta go soon. She's gotta have dinner. Yep. Uh, well, we wanna let you get back to your daughter and spend some time with your daughter. So So we do have our final question. And we ask this question to all our guests at the end of every episode. And that is is entrepreneurship born or made? And you can't say both. Because mm, that is the answer, you know. It's both. I think it's born in a lot of people. I think some people are more risk averse than others and some are more risk taking and are willing to change out. I, I, I've had a career where I just stop things and do things and move faster. And I think it's in, by nature, uh, it's my way, but I think you can, and we should be training our young people to be more entrepreneurial. Sure. I think our country has been over the years. I mean, I was, someone the other day was commenting to me that farm, farms are entrepreneurial back in the day, right? Hmm. Like you don't know if the crops are going to come in, you have to figure out this. Uh, we should be training ours. The way we school kids is so non-entrepreneurial and not thinking. It's and so I think true. you can bring out, especially if we're demanding that they have no safety net and we're not going to like protect people, we have to give them to, like, we would care less about like the way people treat other people in Europe with healthcare and other places. It's, it's a crime how we treat people. If we're going to do that, then we need to arm them with tools so they can be more entrepreneurial. Instead, we've created a group of people that don't have the skills and then we don't help them. And so that's, so I think you can train a lot of entrepreneurs and into people in spirit. And, 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 and then there are certain people that really do pop out, like a Jeff Bezos or an Elon or um, a whole range of people, a range of uh, entrepreneurs sure. uh, that are like that. Well, Oprah Winfrey is a major entrepreneur. Look Oprah at that. Winfrey, she was just of a, course. She was a host, a host on a local TV show, like, 
there's so many of those. And why did she, what was in her that, that got such her? such a good to, point. And she kept creating things. And like some of them failed. Look, oxygen was not the best situation. Yeah, owned. Oh, um, yeah, it's fine, but it wasn't great. But she's, you know, look at her as she keeps shifting and changing. I, I, I find, and, and you can, the other thing is, is entrepreneurism isn't just in tech. That's what we think of. But there's all kinds of amazing entrepreneurs that you make up. They do all kinds of things like, right. And so that's how we should be looking at it. It's entrepreneurism, you know, down at your local store, down at your, we shouldn't be just celebrating these white guys sure. from uh, San Francisco, like who live in San Francisco. Yep. It, we should be celebrating all kinds of people who are entrepreneurial, whether it's a cook, whether it's a, a local business. And right now, some of these businesses during the pandemic, selling the drinks out the window, doing whatever, you just, you gotta love them. You know what I mean? They're trying really yeah. hard to keep their businesses going. And that, those are the people who are real heroes to me. I find them to be, and they need help and not, you know, they should be getting these tax breaks. They should be getting these loans and it shouldn't yes. be going to like Trump's friends. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, screw them for doing that. <laughs> so fraud, such a bunch of frauds. Like just, it's so horrible. Like how I always use an expression I'll end it on, which is, I always say sometimes when a really rich person annoys me, I say, I was a hedge fund person recently. And I use this expression that I like, which is, you're so poor, all you have is money. Well said. We'll leave it at that. Thank you. We'll leave it at that. Kara, you're really the best. Thank you so much for doing this. I'll see you. Kara, thank you so much. And that was our wonderful, unbelievably insightful interview with the one, the only, Kara Swisher. Uh, so good. So full circle moment for both of us. Just, uh, Just crazy. We can't stress this enough. She's like the reason that we became interested in tech. I mean, fuck, way to go on that cold email. I know. Way to go. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I just want to say really one more thing. Like the person you're watching on YouTube, you can talk to them. Like they, they're, they're not, they're not like in a walled off garden. Unless it's like Leonardo DiCaprio, like that, you know, that's a tough one. But anyone you really want to talk to, you can Specific. figure out or find a way to talk to. People are accessible. Just, just don't forget that. Just send an email. Just send it. Sal is king of cold emails. True. Listen to him. <laughs> you have nothing to lose and every single thing in the world to gain. So I will, I will leave it at that. Yeah, let's leave it at that. Yeah. That was Casual Poor for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Come back next Tuesday for our next interview, our next round of drinks, and our next round of friends that are going to be hanging out with us while we record our segments. Yes. Uh, thank you to Daniel Lerner for our theme music and our updated season two theme music. Check him out on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to music. Thank you to Evan Parnes, our graphic designer who put together the casual pour cover art that you see when you are looking at us. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at casual pour pod, on Twitter at casual pour, and our TikTok that we didn't start yet, but we keep talking about. Um, Cause know, maybe they'll get banned. Whenever. Like, share, comment, you know, interact with us send us an email you know we love to hear from you guys so um yeah that's it for this week's casual tour and we will see you next week we will see you guys next week